0: Hello and welcome to episode 119 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. And I'm pleased to report that both James and I are back in the studio together. We are, finally. And by studio, we mean this conference room. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I finalists everyone. you Digiday finalists. Uh, <laughs> Digi-Day finalists <laughs> Sunday, yeah, Sunday Times, I'm sure they got proper studio stuff. But this is why we're gritty like that.
1: Yeah, it's grassroots bootstrap journalism. Absolutely. Year.
0: No, no high towers for us. It's definitely not underfunded. <laughs> <laughs> so I think today uh, we're going to start with the news, then briefly talk about some of the features that are that have gone live this week on Waters and IDM. And then we'll pivot to a conversation that James and I have been having about data privacy, but that does connect in somewhat to technology. Tangentially, yeah. yeah. So, but before we get to any of that, uh, just really quickly... The call for entries are now open from the Waters Rankings, as I know many of you know because you keep on calling, and emailing me, <laughs> and I love those, I love those so very much. It just it never stops, does it? it? Never stops the me. wheel keeps on turning. Durable <laughs> on a <the> treadmill, dude. <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, the rankings are different than our other awards programs. They are voted on first of all by our readers, so there's no judging panel or anything like that. Second of all anyone can enter these things we just get a massive list of companies here so if all you have to do uh, we'll put a link up to it you go in you put in uh, the category you want the name of your company the name of the product that's all you have to do
1: there's no actual like 500 word pitch
0: there's, there's no pitch on this this looking. is just you just put this in and then our readers will be the judges of how of your quality was, and yeah. so you yeah, I yeah, you know, we we've, we've always had discussion, is it better to have like a cold down version of just truly the best, because, you know, we have a ton that will enter into, say, the best OMS provider for the buy side. Yeah. Quite frankly, there's only a handful that are really going to have a chance to win because they, they have the customers, you know, really, you know, it's, exactly. there's only so many hedge funds. The thousands right? of people yeah. who will vote for them. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, we, listen, we, we want this to be as democratic and open as possible, you know? Yeah. It's like the Republican, you know, convention, you know, we have 20 people up on stage, it's great. <laughs> anyway, um, the call for entries, they close on May 18th. Now, we joke around a lot because we have extensions a lot of times. These awards do not have, or these the call for entry does not have an extension. Once yeah. May 18th hit, then we open up. We can't be adding companies once people start voting on this. Yeah. You understand, people? So get your votes that in. That is really
1: important vote. to understand. We do joke about that, but this does not have an extension. And we're not messing around with you. It will not have an extension this, this one <laughs> so, is
0: legit, you know, so please.
1: And there's no excuse you don't have to do a 500-word pitch,
0: right? Yeah. You literally just have to log on. Name and product name. Yep. If you don't know that, then probably look for a new Some line. Some deeper questions. Been um, <laughs> so if you have any questions about that, though, um, please feel free to reach out to Victor Anderson. Um, <laughs> so... On to the news from this week. Now, we have a lot of good stuff up this week. It's been a very productive week. It has mm. been for a while now, obviously, I would I, I like think anyway. And, um, you know, uh, Shan had a really interesting story about uh, a hedge fund that's going to be launching in Australia um, that's going to specifically and solely invest in block in the blockchain economy, yep. uh, companies tied to the blockchain economy. That Actually, was a really interesting read. We hired
1: a data scientist who's regarded as being one of the fathers, of, I think, of his yep. first... Um, his first uh, academic paper on what would eventually become blockchain was actually published in 1991 or something. He's yeah. Time so he's like a... And she and ta- got to
0: talk to him and the CEO or the, the chairman of this uh, startup hedge fund. So they're still looking mm-hmm. to hire data scientists, stuff like that. Interesting. Read. Give that a check out. And then also uh, the deadline for RTS 28 hit on Monday. Yep. And so we had a couple stories on IRD and as well. Um, our own Josephine Gallagher uh, wrote a feature on this that went live last week. A maiden feature. Yep. Yeah. Um, and we'll kind of discuss that a little bit later. Um, but so the, the, we got a lot of good news stories out. Mm-hmm. The most interesting thing, I guess, is that um, the one that has, I guess, the, the sweeping reach is SSNC's Bill Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Stone. Tony so has, has some experience with Bill Stone in the past. But right. every time he says his name, he gets that weird yeah, yeah, kind like, crap out <laughs> uh, Saying that the company... So Bill Stone is saying that the company has a ton of cash and like an addict that just got his tax return going into Bally's casino. He's looking to spend that money and make some more acquisitions. Just for a legal point, we're not saying that Bill Stone is a gambling addict. We're not saying that at all. <laughs> we'll have reckless speculation later on, but yeah, exactly not right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, so he said... Uh, that, you know, that, that they, you know, I get, let's back up here. The reason why is they have a lot of cash, and the reason why they're looking to make an acquisition is because Fidesa, they kind of tried to sneak in after the Temenos bid. Um, them and along with Ion went in. Well, James why kind of give us the background on Fidesa. So the and timeline kind of, of what happened in there. Exactly.
1: Right. Yeah, okay, so um, we covered this a couple of cast episodes ago, but on the 20th of February, um, Fidesa announced that Temenos, the Core banking vendor was going to acquire it. It made an offer of thirty-five pounds and sixty-seven pence per share, um, which valued for Leicester at one point four billion pounds, uh, like two billion dollars, mm-hmm. roughly. Um, so at that point, uh, under UK takeover laws, there's a period of twenty-one days where anyone can then come in and make a counter offer to it. Which seems
0: crazy to me, but well, what that's, do I yeah, that's
1: the way it goes. Um, and then. Uh, I think on the 21st of March, according to later documents filed, Ion and Fidesta began talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Ion investment group, this is, uh, who own people like OpenLink and uh, Reval and people like that as well.
0: I'd been very, like SSC, has been very, very heavy on the acquisition front, just a lot more on the kind of commodity side of it, the risk side of it.
1: it, So building out really that kind of service offering. Um, And we'll get into how Fidesta complements that in a bit, but. yeah, uh, that kind of broke in the press, so Fedessa adjourned the shareholder meeting that was due to be held to vote on um, the Terminus deal. Um, then on the 20th of April, uh, Ion made an offer for of Fedessa at £38.7 per share, which valued Fedessa at £1.5 billion. But I think key to this is that 25% of Fedessa shareholders, including Elliott, uh, which is the activist investor group which had previously mm-hmm. opposed the Terminus deal, yeah saying so it undervalued it, committed their shares to it irrevocably. Um, so they need 75% for it to go through, that's already 25% of the bag. Um, the shareholder meeting got adjourned again. Uh, and then on the 23rd of April, SS&C, which was the other suitor, declined to make an offer. So that kind of left it with, um, with Ion and, and Temenos, and then Temenos recently said, look, we're not going to match that. So yeah.
0: just Stone, he, so? he gave a good little quote, I guess that uh, yeah, you know, there is substance to his earnings call and what he was saying, but he called uh, the, the price on Fidesa, he said, was, quote, uh, nosebleed level, mm. and that they would, quote, not be railroaded into a deal.
1: Well, I think the ION talk values are like, something like 4.5 times its revenue or something like that at the mm. moment, so having to beat that on top would mean that you're suddenly getting into crazyville, I think, in terms yeah. of, you know, the amount of debt you probably take on for that. Um, so, in terms of, yeah, SSC's cash pile, they've... Spent a lot of money recently. I mean, they bought the other part of DST, they didn't own DST systems yeah. back in February. They had a share offering for $1.5 billion dollars, um, recently at the beginning of April to try and pay for that, really, um, and to deliver some of the debt. Um, but yeah, I mean, making a big acquisition like that for Fedessa, which for them, like, I can see how some parts fit, but not all of them. I mean, like, you know, c is very, very buy side focused, and Vanessa sure. has buy side and sell side, that's the two arms of its business, really. Mm-hmm. Um, both of which are. Uh, quite sort of big in that area. For iron it makes a lot more sense. I mean they've been investing in um, fixed income, in commodities, mm-hmm. in yep. FX. Yep. Uh, this gives them the equities and the derivatives parts as well which they lacked before. Yep. So, and they even said you know that kind of really makes them into an all-rounded multi-asset class kind of offering which they can sure. do from there. Um, pretty similar effects I guess from the iron like 15 to 20% reduction headcount. Uh, a lot of the offices will be closed down and be delisted from the stock exchange. Um, but it'll create a pretty big vendor is combined workforce of 3,300 people. And they
0: have Carlisle's, uh, Carl Group Carlyle. backing. So, I mean, well, and that's... UBS provided the
1: funding for this as well, actually. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so they have committed facilities for that, which means they don't have to go in to do a share offering like SLC did and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, can't keep Bill stoned down for long as we found out <laughs> on this call.
0: So. And, uh, so, on the call he said... Um, the company has about seven hundred fifty to $800 in cash on the balance sheet to kind of play around with, so I guess. I'm
1: assuming that's what was left over after paying for the DST thing, right? That's got to be, I guess, that's sort of, you know. Yeah, I mean,
0: once they start talking numbers, God, my eyes start rolling into the back of my <laughs> head. But uh, the, the, another number that jumped out was he said that they're uh, in the market for a deal in the range of $1 billion to $3 billion. Now, whether or not, I would, so this was a call with investors, so there wasn't really, there was follow-ups if an investor wanted to, but... Um, does that mean $1 billion to $3 billion total in multiple deals, in a couple deals, or does that mean that they're looking for a kind of a home run kind of a... Hit? Yeah.
1: I mean, looking at quotes, I think the approach is that they'll be spending $1 to $3 billion on acquisitions. He said there are a mm-hmm. number of properties they were looking at. Yeah. Um, but he's also sort of, you know, I think, uh, look back at the transcript myself earlier, and. He was saying stuff like, we want to be able to act whenever something like Fidesa comes up in the future. Yeah. You know, if we need to step in suddenly, we've got three weeks to do it, and we sure. have the cash on hand to be able to just go, yep, cool, we'll put an offer in for that, yep. we need that. Yeah, and he said selling.
0: that they would, you know, you know, buy back shares, stuff like that with the cash that they have mm-hmm. if nothing comes up, uh, because one of the investors said, you know, well, is there a timeline where if the M&A market is just dry and there's just nothing there that you will, you know, kind of responsibly, you know, get this, this cash off your balance sheet, You know, he said yes, but we're also not gonna just put any sort of arbitrary timeline on it, as you were saying. In case something comes up, we're not gonna do a buyback in eight
1: months. Committed, regardless of anything. So, so, yeah.
0: Um, So, yeah, and we we reached out to Fedessa about um, the nosebleed and the uh, the railroaded (laughs) comment. Uh, They said because of regulatory, spokesperson for them said that because of regulatory reasons, they can't speak right now. I can't wait till all this is all done to go and have some drinks with uh, some of the folks at Vanessa's uh, to hear yeah. about what this process has been like for them.
1: So I spoke to a couple of them at um, Boker, and they were just like, "Like, I can't, I literally can't say anything. It's not worth my life, mm-hmm. or probably my, you know, restricted stock <laughs> options to, uh, to talk to you about it." But yeah, let's go for a chat afterwards. It'd be interesting to sort of see. And I know Victor's very plugged in with a few of the guys who sure. used to be there, and some of the stories he's telling. Um, he was on the podcast, obviously, telling a few of them, but. Some of the conversations he's had with some of the since need to see the light there at some oh, point. Yeah.
0: Because the last time we talked about this, it was with the Temenos deal, thinking that that was kind of going to be a done deal. It, up, it right? seemed it like It yeah. seemed like a natural. So I always hate writing about M&A stories, yeah. because they can easily fall apart, and then you spend all this time reaching out to Connor Woods on Mundo, oh, nope, now it's all gone, or it's a whole different thing.
1: It's one of the great joys of not working for Dow Jones anymore, is I don't have to actually chase that story <laughs> exactly. and then get in trouble when I don't get it. <laughs> sort of like, you know now we can just take our time talk about it on a podcast and all all, why
0: weren't you at LBC earlier <laughs> exactly um.
1: <laughs> but I mean yeah I mean ss look like I mean it's a company that's it's done over 50 acquisitions since 1995 um, some pretty pretty big ones like Advent you know that was a yeah. multi-billion dollar was deal Globop it, uh, it, Globop, I mean? Porsche um, you know these big companies they've integrated themselves Advent probably one of the biggest I guess really um, but uh, look they've pretty got the chops to handle it and it's how they grow and that's their strategy and Bill Stone he's sort of He's uh, He knows what he's doing. He's ruthless, I think, when he needs to be. And he sort of, you know, can be cold and cut when he needs to. And, and I think that was kind of hinted at as well in his later comments about DST, about mm-hmm. how they're used to having a 100-day sales cycle. And he's yep. like, yeah, we want it at 30. Actually, no, we want it at, like, 10. Yeah, <laughs> <correct>. <laughs> we'll, we'll be
0: happy with 30 once we get it there, yeah. yeah so I yeah. think that it's going to be a little more of a cracked whip, certainly, for the folks at DST. In some ways, but that can also be a good thing. Well, it's, I've got some it friends it at big DST who
1: have been spending a lot later in the office. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way than they were used to perhaps before. Um, but yeah, I mean that's kind of that's the SSNC model, right? It's yeah. kind of, you know, it's amazing for that company as well. Like you know, it is run like that. It's fast paced, hard, aggressive. They spend a lot um, where they need to spend on R and D. But it's amazing how many people have been there for you know ten, twenty years. Yeah. Actually, when you talk to them, but I was yeah. at the client conference last year and. A lot of the technology stuff were just like, yeah, I've been here for 21 years. Yeah, I've been here for 22 years or whatever.
0: I thought that that was maybe an interesting from the advent deal. Because I remember, uh, I don't think that you were here when the advent deal went down, right? You were... I think I'd gone to Dow Jones at that point, yeah. So it was Tim Borghese Murray, myself, it must have been Jake Thomas's, kind of just reached out to all of our contacts. What does this mean, you know, for you? And So we reached out to a lot of buy signs, stuff like that. You know, what do you think about this deal, advent going over there? And that was kind of the big... You know, everybody's like, you know, this makes sense on, on many different levels, but this culture kind of thing, these advent guys, you know, are very much Silicon Valley style, you know, they're used yeah. to laid back, and now you're kind of joining this fold of this intense East you know, SSC. Well, they also
1: a lot of CD people like Hakan Warburg in uh, in Europe and that kind of thing you have been yeah. there for a while, and it did seem like a complete face change, actually. But, yeah,
0: but it... Um, you, know, you, you you have I haven't heard the grumbling. So if, if, if anybody's listened to it, that has bad experience, sure, I'd be interested to hear. But I haven't heard like the fallout. You know, happen from that. Uh, no. from no, that. Yeah. So reckless speculation time. The yeah, reckless spec. I was I was kind of going through, and I was just trying to put together some potential companies in this OMS, EMS, PMS kind of space. Here, yeah. Okay. Some of them, so we've already had some big, you know, kind of players, whether it's IHS market, SunGuard, FIS, OpenLink, Finastra, Portware Ready, you know, so there's already have been a lot of the ones that you know gobbled up. Yeah, I think and we
1: both have the obvious one in the spaces, right? You know, the company that focuses on EMS, OMS, and PMS. As we is. As we
0: And that's, because I guess, you know, that was always at, you know, Actually, this ties into the cover story of Charles Walters. He started out as, we'll get this a little bit, but he started out as an advent uh, Geneva guy, mm. then kind of kind of said they saw the writing on the wall that there was only so much. He, they'd spread into as castle, which, you know, became uh, Ez software. And, yeah, you know, it, mm. is that the big, you know, do you kind of go with the home run there? You know, I don't... I don't see them willing to sell
1: that. I mean, they put so much effort exactly. into the last few years building up the seem, you know. I've not heard any I mean this could have been my like crappy sourcing we're, we're we're a bad journalist, but uh, yeah. I haven't heard any rumblings about um, Ez being on the books necessarily and, and normally I hear something if there's something going on um, and from talking to the guys there, they're just like you know we're pretty committed to this cloud play and like what we're doing. And also you know S has great products, but do they necessarily fit into the uh, SsNC kind of stable I mean yeah like you've got real that's a style or whatever called now EMS or whatever Yeah. Um, you've got our SPMS and everything else yeah. and they're all storied kind of um, pieces of software which, which SNC does like to have but I don't necessarily see the spot it fits into in their current technology stack and also they have the big sales side component as well which I mean if SNC wants to get into that fine yeah. but they've always been a very buy side focused company as evidence of the fact again that they're probably the world's biggest fund administrator at this point point. Yeah. Um this might be a stupid question, what about it? like a Charles River. Well, I was thinking about Charles River earlier, really, but I think they're too big. Like maybe for um, they would, I guess, be the kind of natural competitor to SSNC. Mm-hmm. They're the, like, probably one of, if not the biggest, buy side sure. provider of software, right? Like every hedge fund uses them, and every shop and that kind of thing. Um, I just, I don't know if they have necessarily the resources to buy a company like Charles River. Yeah. Um, I think they're probably safe for the time being. Maybe like a. Maybe some companies sign off parts with of like a Broadridge or something. I don't well, know. Broadridge, so. you know, certainly
0: can be played in that space. Yeah. They're a massive company with just all different kind of business units. Um, are yeah. naturally playing into it. I, you know, just kind of looking through and I was like thinking, okay, well, what about smaller kind of guys? You know, and I was just, and I can't even like I'm not even sure necessarily how some of these if they if there's any natural link, but you know, whether a trading screen or a Smart Trade, Tora, InData, Alpha Point, Vest, X Trading. I was kind of just trying to figure out who else is kind of in this ecosystem. And, you know, is that really going to be, are those going to be the ones that are really going to get, you know, the juices going?
1: Maybe any of the, the Chicago guys, like Trading Technologies or Flex Trade or something? Mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. um, That's again, not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. And I know the Trading Tech is, uh, well, TT is very focused on the crypto stuff, but they're re engineering the company to be like the infrastructure, software, and sort of screen. Thing they're
0: doing. so What about, uh, who was the one that uh, just, uh, it was Nasdaq that just recently bought the the AI company? Cybernetics? Yeah. yeah. Who, uh, that was Nasdaq?
1: No, uh, Nasdaq bought Cybernetics and Trading Technologies bought Nurensic.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: What about maybe something like that?
0: You know, rather than saying, okay, we're going to go with these natural, you know, people that are in our kind of space competitors. Mm. You know, maybe go for one of these. You know, really sharp-eyed. You know, AI, machine learning, kind of try and reinvent the the company's. Well, I don't uh, think
1: so for two reasons, I mean, and I could be wrong. Especially guess, in the accounting uh, space, especially in the be accounting solo. space, that could be. Yeah, but I mean, if you can add something onto Geneva, maybe to do yeah. that, but I think for two reasons that's probably not going to happen necessarily. One, because uh, ss and already spends a vast amount of money on R&D as it is, and this is hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Matter. They have a big bathroom. Very, very smart people. That to be are fair, items. one person
0: would say it's like, well, with each person that they buy, they keep on adding this number of their R and D into their R and D. But we're not totally sure. Yeah. One, one hedge fund guy was telling me that just recently about, yeah, you know, just this like, I'm not sure if the R and D is that, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's see if the math actually adds up on this. Yeah. Uh,
1: and secondly, I think if you're going to pursue a strategy of growth like SSNC does, where you're adding companies like two, three, four, five, six a year in some cases to your uh, core base. You have to be adding companies that are revenue generating and keep adding to your bottom line. Otherwise, you end up stalling. You end up getting a situation where you're leveraging yourself to purchase the company and taking on debt facilities and everything else, or doing yeah. stock offerings. But then you're not immediately seeing the accretive kind of bonus of that. And also, they're under the gun because they're, uh, you know, they're listed as well, so they have to justify this to the analysts and they have to justify it to their investors. So I think rather than buying some young fintech kind of great idea, not quite ready to go to market type thing, they're more likely to buy someone like uh, an established technology brand who already has a uh, committed subscriber base, a user base, a support uh, revenue coming in and that kind of thing that going in from that. That makes more sense, I think.
0: So, okay. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, as we said, you know, we, we were worrying about the great fintech, you know, kind of everything just kind of coming back in together. But uh, so there's obviously going to be some deals coming up. In, this, you know, in the next six months mm. and whether or not what happens with Fidesz is still up in the air. Yeah. So, I'm sure we'll be talking plenty more about that. Um, but if anybody has any kind of thoughts or anything that we did hit on that you thought was on the mark or kind of off, certainly would be interested to hear from you. Um, Unless you work in uh, press relations for any of these companies, I'm watching yeah, then, us. Yeah, us for mentioning yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> Um If you're gonna tell us that your company's gonna be bought by SSC, then yes, yes definitely absolutely. give us a call. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, this week couple features goes you know just really quickly about just so you guys know if uh before we kind of talk about data privacy um first of all as i mentioned before the cover profile for the june issue of no may issue of uh waters magazine is charles walters he is uh the chief information officer at halcyon uh, capital management nine billion dollar hedge fund here in manhattan uh he had spent uh, Twenty years, uh, various consultancies, uh, b- working on advent, advent, everything advent, you know, but Geneva implementations at buy side firms, and then eventually spread his business into as uh, Castle now as software, a couple other things, four land options, and jumping at uh, uh, housing. But this is you know the reason why I thought it was interesting. Got a lot of interesting insights about the hedge fund business, how to run a hedge fund, you know, what what hedge funds needs are and how that's evolved. That's kind of what the the, the article talks about. But here's just a brief list of some of the companies that he's worked at. Elliott Management, York Capital, Paulson and Company, uh Green Lake Capital, Icon Associates, Pequot Capital, Allen Company, what? Oak Tree Capital, what? Fortress Investment Group. There are so many more that I could easily list. There are huge, huge companies. Some that exist, some that crashed spectacularly yeah. and he's got great insights on both ends of that you know because he's as a consultant he's you know he's, he doesn't necessarily have that dog in that fight uh from from those days and just as interesting first man ever to deliver a pizza via drone in new york city oh no sure that was him yeah was it williamsburg Heck pizza it? he's a co-owner there yeah. and uh they delivered uh great pizza also as somebody who lives in williamsburg has been there many times very very drunk um, <laughs> um, so for lunch and a maybe it week. wasn't <laughs> great. Maybe I was just really, really drunk. I don't know. But, um, but first man ever to deliver a pizza via drone. Until the FAA uh, threatened, I think it was like a two hundred thousand dollar fine against them if they keep on because you know you just don't want drones flying goods in New York City. Dropping pizzas
1: in people's heads. Yeah, 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 it could be
0: a problem. But uh, so it's an interesting story. Check that out. What else do we have uh, this week? As James just took a soda, uh, a, a sip of soda. soda.
1: Uh, so we have, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Joe Gallagher's maiden feature. Or TS twenty-eight. On RTS twenty-eight, uh, this lovely little best execution provision in Method Two that um, came in. Quite simple on the outside. Uh, rank your top five execution venues and how your um, execution quality was in them, yeah. so you can prove to investors you're giving the best execution.
0: Everybody thought it was going to be easy.
1: Well, I mean, it is easy, let's be honest. But as with everything that the <laughs> brokers do, they've made a mountain out of a fucking molehill. And uh, they're going on about how we can't possibly unpick all of our trades between asset classes and our different brokers and market makers and prove that, yes, that was the best execution. Which
0: James absolutely loves it when any sort of... Financial firm complains about regulation. Oh, that's my favorite thing. The yeah. Republican side of me is like, yeah, man, get rid of these damn regulations. There's too much regulation.
1: <laughs> well, this is investor protection. So, I mean, this is a, you know, this should be something you, dear near and dear to your heart and soul, so, is yeah. only
0: invest in uh, liquid beer. That's about it. That's true. Yeah, liquid assets.
1: Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, they're saying that it's difficult to do that. My general feeling on that is if you find it hard to, find out where your trades are going you probably shouldn't be in the business of managing money in the first place but fair, that's just that's me well. yeah. um, and lo and behold everyone's probably going to manage to do it okay first of all uh, but it is an interesting read um, ignore my slightly caustic jaded I've covered regulation for nearly seven or eight years now and I'm, I've heard the same arguments dozens of times approach is actually a good read and some of the guys do make some valuable points on okay. that. Um, and it's also Joe's first feature, so you know, give yep. us some feedback on what you thought you did well what you thought you didn't um, and I'm sure she'd be happy to, uh, to do some follow-ups as well. Then we had another maiden feature from Hamad Ali, our other new reporter in the London newsroom. This was uh, an interesting story. It was on how, uh, kind of like a state of the union of electronic fixed income, really. Yep. But um, talking more about how a few years ago, given the kind of the rapid rise of people at like your trade webs and market accesses, your Bloombergs, everyone kind of assumed that fixed income would go the way of equities. It'll just all be electronic, just done on the screen, and futures and effects and something else. Um, actually, what it seems to be the case is that there's going to be a kind of chimera form taking shape where voice and the screen are going to have to coexist because, yeah, you can do liquid uh, investment-grade bond trades on these platforms, but the illiquid um, corporate bonds and, or if you want to do block trades or anything else, you still can't really do that electronically. Yeah. You have to have a voice component. And then there's also quotes from a few veteran traders in there who are saying, you know, at the end of the day, the fixed income business, um, particularly when you start dealing not just in corporate bonds but in munis and everything else, um, it's very much a relationship-based market. And you know, you have your accounts. If you are a salesperson, you deal with those accounts for decades, sometimes, you get to know them, their investment strategies, for pension yeah. funds, um, municipal funds, everything else. Um, and you need that connection because then you know what to sell them, what works for them, what's not going to work for them. When you start reducing it to the screen, uh, because a lot of these guys are paying commission, it starts squeezing out people from the industry. So. Yeah. You lose that kind of institutional relationship, that knowledge of the clients that goes on there. So a couple of interesting points on both sides.
0: And this is obviously a topic that has been talked about for a long time. A long time, and there's yeah. been a lot written about it. Trust me when I say that first of all it was, it, it was very well sourced story. Um, it does advance the ball. It is something that is you know that you know post MiFID 2 mm-hmm. uh, implementation date, deadline date you know, that the market is starting to shift out a little bit and that, you know, kind of coming to some some agreements here. So I think that's what was interesting about
1: it. I think so, yeah. And, I mean, you know, it touched on a few other conversations I was having at Boker as well about how um, emerging technology, I mean, the feature does not really touching it, but it is linked to this, about how emerging technology is actually starting to break down the barriers between voice and and the screen as well. So you might see that in the future. There's less of a kind of a barrier between using the two mm-hmm. together. So I think that's also reflective of that. Uh, And then finally, on Friday, um, Mia's feature is going to go live. Uh, Amelia David, our reporter in the New York newsroom, um, she looks at how AI development um, is now being paired with social sciences education. So there's kind of like a degree of having to teach ethics for AI. It's a really interesting piece. She speaks to some guys from MIT and from other big universities who are doing this, a bunch of vendors who sort of say the same thing as well. Um, it also has probably the finest headline I've ever written for Waters on it, I think? The, mm-hmm. the Philosopher's Drone. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. yeah, I
0: don't watch Harry Potter. I don't read the book of Harry Potter. Well, no,
1: you uneducated slob. The Philosopher's Stone is... Yeah, uh, no, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. reading a Team of Rivals about uh, the
0: Civil War, which won a Pulitzer. But, you know, no, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's nice that the... Yeah. <laughs> um, two other stories I'll actually point out as well. Um, one is... Up on so inside data management, the mm-hmm. data side of our publications. This story will also be a, a slightly different version. Uh, we'll be going live on the water site. But Wei Shen Wang, uh, she and uh, oh, this is great! Actually. Yeah, this yeah. is actually very really interesting story. Uh, so, investors with exposure to India via uh, index futures, there was a decision by the country's exchanges, uh, well, SEBI. Their um, their their regulator to end data licensing agreements that allow overseas markets to create derivatives based on its indexes. This is pissed off Singapore, which we'll get into on the water so side it's of it pissed off more. everyone.
1: You think about how big the Nifty is. I mean, yeah. like a Nifty Fifty features and that kind of thing. It's uh, you know, it's a Nifty, index. it's a nifty index. Um, them, sorry. Which you know, everyone's going to be annoyed about it and it's yeah. a really weird move like yeah it's highly protectionist and I can understand why they're doing it it's like well we've created this index and you're creating products that are listed elsewhere and we're not seeing the benefit of it yeah. but uh, no she does a really good job digs really, in, well, like really well into it and talks to the big players and everything else yeah. So, yeah. two kind of
0: stories off of it uh, you know it's, it's a little bit kind of different ones a day to play ones more of a geopolitical uh, story but why uh, hmm. you check those out and then the IRD uh uh Reporter Amelia Axelson who works in London from Houston, go figure.
1: From Houston uh, via Denmark, yeah. So well, from
0: Houston via Denmark. There you go. Well, yeah,
1: Denmark <laughs> via Houston. So she was born in America, but her parents are Danish or something. So. Okay. It's yeah. uh,
0: here. I'm. Uh, so good data. Government's plans will be key. This was on. Uh, data governance practices related to a specific uh, robot I can't remember what it was (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the data side I don't have to edit those stories so I don't really worry about it but it's good readers so we'll link to all those and those will go up I guess quickly uh, we'll just focus in on there was one new story that I thought was really interesting so it turns out that if anybody's heard of uh, Joseph James D'Angelo, 70 year old uh, former police officer uh, now known as the Golden State Killer in uh, the 70s, 80s, killed and raped, you know, a lot. Of, I don't know if there's a set number on it. Um, so dozens at least, yeah, isn't it? So, a yeah. lot of people. The investigators of it, the case went cold. The investigators of it uh, use a GED match which is an open source, and that's pretty key to this, but it's uh, one of those um, genealogy websites. Mm-hmm. So you can go in, you know find out you know, if you have any cousins around or you know health records, whatever. Uh, just like uh, 23and me and ancestry, DNA, very, very popular right now. You see all these all over the place. It blows my mind that people are willingly handing over their DNA. When we're talking about how difficult it is to protect data and information, your DNA, your we, DNA. Now you're handing DNA. it over. So really, you really got to shut the hell up. When you talk about you know information, you know Facebook's giving away my data. You're giving away your DNA.
1: <laughs> there was a great article on the New York Times about this actually. Essentially, just saying this: going, what are you doing? That what crazy. are you
0: doing?" So the interesting about it, so I'm, this one, I'm reading from the Gizmodo story. Uh, the headline is, report police forced a DNA testing company to share a customer's identity in the Golden State Killer case. Now, so GD Match, uh is open source. Because it is an open source uh, company, uh, the police, and so I'm going to quote here, police could access genetic records without approaching the company for permission. And the, the CEO said that, in fact, they were never approached. But what BuzzFeed ended up finding out was that investigators did use a subpoena to force another DNA testing site to reveal the identity of one of its customers. That site was a family tree DNA. Mm -hmm. Uh, They received a federal subpoena from the Eastern District of California uh, to hand over, and the the team that ended up leading to the arrest of the Golden State Killer confirmed that they did hand them a subpoena to find out the name of the person. Uh, It's... Ancestry's DNA uh, Ancestry DNA and 23andMe the two most popular ones they say in their thing while they have never uh, yet have uh, well they don't say this piece they have yet to ever hand over they have had requests uh, from uh, federal agents to hand over requests not subpoenas right that's subpoenas Um, it says in there that it's Possible that uh, that you uh, that they might potentially hand over your DNA to law enforcement. And the other thing to keep you remember is, they didn't find this guy. Um, jo- uh, what was his name? Uh, 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 Joseph D'Angelo. He didn't, you know, put mm. this in. Uh, his family members did, and they connected his DNA. Well, this is the to this those- I
1: mean, I'm, I'm always really careful whenever I have my bodies to like, make sure I don't go on these sites. But to think that my cousin gave <laughs> give me up by having like on that, yeah. it's just incredible. I mean, you. I mean, you literally have no control over your own thing necessarily now. Yeah, uh, you know, sort of.
0: Well, and this is the other interesting thing that the, that the police did with this case. So, the investigators first tried to um, track down other people's DNA to connect connect his DNA. So they had some of this killer's DNA yeah. without knowing who it was. Um, They had, uh, the investigators knew 67 genetic markers, this is again from Gizmodo, the investigators knew 67 genetic markers on the killer's Y chromosome. Eventually, Y research returned a match of 12 of them, but but one of those 12 was unusual. So basically, they were used connected to other people using these sites, this site. Now, those ended up not leading anywhere, they were dead ends. What the police did was created their own using the DNA of that they had from this killer. They created their own uh, uh, what oh, a profile, profile? Their yeah, own yeah. profile to see, and that's how they got the, the uh, pig. There's got to be some kind of law against that. I would have thought. In terms of I don't know, there is not. And now this was so. This was something interesting from the from this Gizmodo article. So they quote. So they talked to Ellen Wright Clayton, a professor of health policy at Vanderbilt University, and she says. Privacy is an important good, but it's not the only good. We have to decide as a society how we're going to trade these things off. I, like many people, think it's probably a good thing that this guy got captured. Bringing people to justice is an important social cause. As this article also points out, this can falsely identify people uh, who they – it can lead to false positives of people who put – well, let's, yeah, them. I mean, let's not be as naive to assume that miscarriages of justice
1: don't happen, or that the government doesn't use this information for its own nefarious processes. I mean, like, i do not to be too paranoid, but at what point does it stop? Yeah, fine, it's great that they caught the serial killer, and nobody wants him on the street, so thankfully he's behind bars. Yeah, although it seems that he actually stopped killing people. So yeah, and there's a great actually article in the New York Times about that as well, um, about the kind of how serial killers sometimes stop killing for like years at time and get yeah. Um But where does it stop then? Do you then, if you sanction the use of if you sanction the police's methods in this, saying, yes, you can essentially identity theft to do this, whether it's someone's DNA or not, um, does it stop at murder? Do you then go into things like uh, white-collar crime? Do you then go into things like family law? Do you then go into things like political disputes? And, you know, if the government wants to identify protesters at a march and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know, how where does it stop? This is the thing. So.
0: Well, and this is the other question that, you know... So look at what happened with... it was. Apple, right? It was Apple with the, the San Bernardino uh, terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. They wanted to uh, hack into uh, his phone. So he did, but they wanted to see who his contacts were to see who else potentially was part of his network. Mm-hmm. And Apple CEO Tim Cook said, no, that's, you know, we, it goes against our privacy laws. You can't do that. And they said, if you want to do it, you're going to have to hire a company to create this back door. Okay. We're not going to create this back door for you that just will now be able to be used. Willy
1: nilly, the weather's always rainy. and, and so it ended up getting done, yeah, yeah.
0: but not through them. But that's the other thing is, they said that we would only use it in case of terrorism. Well, what was uncovered was no, they had actually uh, put in a request for drug enforcement charges. Mm-hmm. Drugs, nothing, nothing sinister. Drugs, yeah, the local dealer. The, who's he dealing the to? The, dealing the overreach snaps. is insane, and it just blows my mind that you know you have this. You know, yes, I do agree that it's good that we caught a serial killer. You have to be careful with what you are willing well, to give up with, of your freedom. You, you can't blame the cops for this
1: necessarily, because it's their job to use all the tools they're sure. supposed to do this. But it's our job as citizens, as, as citizens, and as an informed people, uh, and then and, through our representatives to argue yeah. this and say, no, this is too far. You can't do this. Yeah. I and mean, like, you know, if you can't stop and frisk people without a reason on the subway, what well, the fuck should you be allowed to trace their DNA? And it's also dangerous other parts as well. Like, I mean, I'll tell you a little story, like which is tangentially related to this. So uh, one of my friends back in the UK is adopted, and so is his sister. And uh, he never really cared about who his parents were, but when she got to, like, 16 all hormones kicked in and everything else, she hated her adoptive parents and decided uh, she wanted to find out who her birth parents were. So she went on to sites like Ancestry and Genealogy and put her DNA up and that kind of thing and uh, ended up matching it with this com- this family in, like, somewhere in another city up north or something like that. And then suddenly, over the course of like sort of three or four months, they found things in the back garden, like they were getting letters through the door saying, "Oh, we're going to come take you back" and that kind of thing. Their back uh, laundry lines were cut. They had things being put through their door. Cars broken into and stolen, and that kind of thing. So even outside governmental uh, use of this DNA, what you're putting out there into the ether could be used by anybody to do anything. And especially if you think about how sophisticated cyber attacks are now with organised crime and and state actors as well. Yeah. You think they're not gonna? They're gonna have any trouble breaking into Gedmatch or something like that to get your DNA? Yeah. And you think they can't maybe
0: sort of do something with that if they want and to? And you trust so, these uh, companies to be able to protect your DNA yeah. data? We we've seen that Social Security companies can't. You know that, that that companies that are in charge with just your financial information can't can protect it. The SEC you can't, can't it, protect yeah. the company filings. Real God's sake. You know it's, it's ridiculous. It's uh, it's absurd. If I you mean, give this yeah. up, you just it's like it's like we were saying on the Facebook thing. Listen, this doesn't blow our minds that Facebook was using this data and selling it off and stuff like that. This was the most unshocking thing that I had seen. (laughs) You're giving up your DNA and then shocked... That all of a sudden that there could be negative consequences. The
1: only possible reason I could think of doing this, and this is even this is stupid, is if you don't know who your parents are and you need to know something about your medical for history right. for something, or if. And, you're, and that's what they try and
0: push the most. You could yeah. learn about your health history, but then it's go like to your
1: GP, always, your, your yeah. doctor, and then go to the surgery and say, "Can you analyse my blood, please, for any markers for diabetes or yeah. cancer or Alzheimer's or yeah. you know, like uh, multiple sclerosis?
0: Like, I don't know." There are better ways of doing it is going to ancestry DNA to yeah. 23 and eight, or Twenty Three andMe. Because it works. It's ninety nine dollars. No allowed yeah. to advertise for it, but yeah.
1: like, okay, I'd love to see an audit of your cybersecurity uh, practice please. And also, I mean, under things like GDPR coming in, if you have to opt in for your consent for your email to be used, how does that work with DNA? And it's a weird <laughs> thing the law hasn't kept up with, like, yeah. as we saw with the uh, the fact that the Californian uh, police officers were able to do that. The law hadn't caught up to the fact that you could <laughs> register someone's DNA as a profile because that hasn't happened before.
0: That's it's that's funny. funny because like, you look at our politicians here in America, I can't speak for other countries, but yeah. here in America... There's no dis- real discussions around privacy, you know. I mean, especially since the Patriot Act went in. You know, everybody's like, okay, screw it. You know, we'll just give up everything.
1: But I remember there was. When the Patriot Act came in there, there was It was a huge was, yeah. fight.
0: And then we, that that fight was lost. Yeah. And so everybody's like, all right, well, we This is going to be, at some point, this has to hit a head where some politicians are going to start saying, no, this is not how we are going to run into it. Yes, immigration is important. Uh, taxation is important. Uh, privacy is going to be at the very top. Of, it has to become at the top of. Oh, just think about it as well. Like I mean, just just extrapolate.
1: I'm not saying that any of my listeners are stupid enough to do this, but you, if you are stupid enough to put your DNA on these things, what happens if an insurance company decides to buy a game match
0: when mm-hmm. they
1: look at your DNA and they see that you're predisposed towards cancer they see you're predisposed towards various other things and everything? They think well. We're not going to give you life insurance because we think you're actually going to die at the age of They went and hired
0: Palantir too. Yeah. And so now they can uh, feed all this information to that database and all of a sudden make these connections Precisely. that in a million years you would never thought that the insurance company would have access Or the bank's
1: to. not going to give you a mortgage because they know you're not going to live long enough to pay it off. Or yeah. you know, any other uh, reasons. It's very sinister and it very quickly descends. You're not giving your um, information to a company. And this is what people need to understand. You're not giving it to Facebook. You're not giving it to GetMatch. You're not giving it to... Uh, Experience or anything, you're giving it to them plus the dozens of companies that might then acquire it or it might spin off or it might be uh, infiltrated by over the years as well. Like You're giving it to everyone essentially. You're putting it in the public slash commercial domain where it can be bought, it can be traded, and it reduces your personal information down to the value of a commodity which as we know by the nature of the word commoditized (laughs) becomes cheap and it becomes, you know, essentially ephemeral. I don't understand why we're okay with this, and, yeah. it, and you're right, it has to come to a head at some point.
0: Yeah. Well, marketing's just doing a good... Politicians aren't kicking up a storm in any way, shape, or form about this. You know, you'll get a couple people, but then both Democrats and Republicans will shout that person down because yeah. it's good business for everybody involved. Right now, it's good business for everybody involved. It's not good for you guys. You know, yeah, exactly, and the fact that you know
1: journalists who do write about this stuff are outnumbered six to one in the US by public relations personnel. Yeah. They can outspend any voice that ascends about it by putting more adverts on TV or sponsoring baseball games. Or It's
0: only you know, a matter of time until somebody markets their analytics platform for trade reconciliation to, this is the ancestry DNA of trade reconciliation, you know, mm-hmm. and then that just becomes common lingo in our society rather than being like, that should set off a red flag. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Up. Well, That's about it. That's what happened. You know, forty-two minutes. You know, once you get us two back in the same room together, then we're just going to ramble on. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. Anything that we missed on, anything you think was interesting, please reach out to us. Our contact information is in there. But we will be back next week uh, with more hopefully riveting discussion. Yeah, have a good week, everybody.